All right, kids, you can follow Miss Stephanie and Mr. Wall over there and have a great time downstairs learning more about Joseph. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts 4. As we continue on from last week, where Chris Wood shared with us about uh, Peter and John being arrested and what that meant for us and asking for courage even in that. And as we continue on, we'll be in verses 23 all the way to 31 as we take a look at that. And as you find that page, and if you're looking for a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you somewhere, and uh, you just need to flip over to page 532 if you're looking for a quick answer to where Acts is. Um, But we would love to talk to you more. If you don't have a Bible about that, don't have a Bible at home, please take that one. Take it home. Read it. Start with the Gospel of John, which is just a few pages before. As you're looking there at Acts 4, let me ask you a question. What is boldness? What does it mean to be bold? I actually looked it up in the dictionary because I think we use words all the time, but I like to know what they actually mean. The dictionary says that it is a willingness to take risks and, act, and active innov, innovatively with confidence or courage. Ever look at someone and wonder how they can be so bold? I do very regularly. It takes a lot out of me to be bold. I'm not bold by nature. And believe it or not, I don't like confrontation either. But how are some people more bold than others? How can they stand before a group of people and, and proclaim truth without shrinking back at all? Especially Christians. They say that there's been more Christians killed within the 20th century than all previous Christ, or martyrs. They call them martyrs, people who have been killed for their faith than the previous generations. So how in the world do they do that? How can they stand with boldness? How can someone say as they're being burned at the stake for translating the word of God, still continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? William Tyndale, who was sentenced to death by strangulation and being burned at the stake, I don't know why they did both, but they did. His last wish and prayer was, Lord, open the king of England's eyes as he was being burned at the stake. You know, how about Martin Luther as he stood before the Pope and he says, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of Pope or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captivated by the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me, amen. Where does boldness come from? Where does boldness to do these things come from? Open door ministries, which I have and I use to pray for as I seek to pray for the universal church, said that uh, in 2020, 4,305 Christians were killed. This year, 2021, sorry, Uh, 4,761. And keep in mind that these numbers are very different because there's lots of places that don't accurately report these things. And here's the thing. As I look throughout history, and as I look in our world today, the word of the Lord continues to increase. In fact, I would say that in our own little world, we think and struggle with the kingdom of God continuing to increase, but there is actually no evidence that it is stopping. God still calls people to himself here in Canada, and especially around the world. 
But who are the ones who are changing, who are, who are in charge of bringing the message of Jesus? The churches. So even in the midst of extreme persecution, the kingdom of God continues to grow because the gates of hell won't prevail against the rushing army led by a victorious captain. And I wonder, how or where do they get the boldness to do these things? Where does boldness come from? So in Acts 4, there is a crescendo, if you like music. There is a building up that is happening as actually the persecution of the early church begins to get ramped up. All the way till chapter 8, we'll see an increasing persecution of the church. It just starts with a little arresting as Peter and John were brought towards the religious leaders. And the hope was of those people in authority at that time is that the church would stop that they would stop proclaiming the message about Jesus Christ. And I like irony. I think irony is funny. And I'm sorry if you don't, but I think it's great. And this persecution actually aids in the message, in the mission of spreading the very message of Jesus Christ. Here the people were trying to snuff out, and here God was using this to increase his kingdom. So Luke brings up various, at various points how what humans intended for evil, which I love Genesis 50, by the way, what God intends for evil, God intended for good. For, well, sorry, what man intended for evil. God has already planned for good. And even in persecution, the word of the Lord continue to, and continues to increase, fulfilling the Great Commission. And with the increased persecution that we will see over the next few chapters, the church continues to grow in boldness as they went on the mission of Jesus with the message about Jesus. The promise continues. The gates of hell will not prevail against the power of the gospel. The early church had boldness. So let's open up our Bibles and see how to be bold. Acts 4, starting at verse 23, says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, anointed, sorry, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they, all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the chance to gather together. I was reminded about that this morning. 
if COVID taught me anything, was how much I long to be with your people. So Lord, as we continue to gather together, as we together continue to worship, as your word is preached, Lord, I pray that we would worship through listening and that we, I would worship through preaching. But Lord, may we worship together. May we make much of you together. Lord, there's no way that I could do this on my own, but I do desire that you are glorified. So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 23 to 28, we see resting in who God is in hard times. As we see in verse 23, Peter and John, they are just released from being in captivity, being imprisoned by the religious leaders of the time. And the first thing they do is they go and talk to their friends. They want to tell their friends about what has happened, so that's what they do. And what is their response? Did they complain? Did they pout? Did they go off and stomp their feet and say, oh, this isn't fair? What did they do? They pray. That's right there, verse 24. They lifted their voices together to God. And they did this in the midst of a hard time. They worshiped God by praying what they know to be truth about God. This was something trained by Jesus. Their first response in hardship wasn't anger or fear or compromise or malice or gossip or whatever it was. It was to get on their knees and to pray. And how they pray is important for us to note here. They start with worship. They start with making much of who God is as they open up in prayer. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, they say. They say he is sovereign, meaning he has the right and the power to do what he wills. He is Lord, meaning he is supreme. The church was emphasizing God's greatness above all other leaders and anyone who holds power. And this is an amazing thing because of where they just came from. In their own little world, the religious people were the center of power. And they say, no, my God is sovereign and he will do what he wills. And he's Lord and he is greater than all of them. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever, as Psalms 136, 3 says. He is creator, meaning he made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He's not just sovereign over just this little piece of land like a king. The king of England is sovereign only over the domain of England. God is sovereign and creator over it all. He is not just sovereign over a little piece of land. He is sovereign over it all. He has the rights and the power to do whatever he pleases over all things. That's how they start this prayer. Notice how they don't complain. They don't run away. They don't ask God to take them out of the situation. They acknowledge who God is. And not only that, but that he inspired men to write these very words, as it says in verse 25, said by the Holy Spirit. And this is a great and quick statement stating that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
That this is the doctrine of inspiration of the scriptures, which is talking about how God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they, their individual styles stayed, but that the end result was exactly what God wanted to say. So every time I crack the book, I'm face to face with God. It is his word. And Christian, if we come together and we open God's word together, I don't know, there is no room for some sort of attitude of scoffing. But here, God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that their individual styles stayed, but the end result was exactly what God wanted. The Bible is truly and totally the word of God, even though it comes through flawed men like David. We think King David was this great man, and he was a great man, and God used him mightily. Wrote some great songs. But if we ever read his tombstone, it would say he was a friend of God except for what he did with Bathsheba. But God still used him. God spoke through him. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he began to quote Psalm 2. You know, there's an example. We can look at the book of Matthew, for example, where, for example, sat down to write the accounts of Jesus and, and Jesus' ministry. He relied on his memory because he was an eyewitness of the events that were recorded. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, keeping his intended readership in mind because he was writing it for the Jewish people, the result was the Gospel of Matthew, a narrative full of Matthew's vocabulary, Matthew's grammar, and Matthew's syntax, his style, yet it is the Word of God. And the Spirit had so guided Matthew's writing that everything God wanted to say was said and nothing was included that God did not intend to say. This is the Word of God that we preach. I don't stand here and say what I want to say. We seek to say what God says. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I have to say. We always go back to what the Word of the Lord says. And that's why they pray God's word as they pray in Psalm 2. And this is important. And it's important for a few reasons. Why should we pray God's word? He kind of wrote it. Why do I have to say it back to him? It kind of sounds a little weird, right? But it's important. The New Testament church does it. The Old Testament, we see examples of it. There's many reasons, but ultimately there's confidence that comes from praying like this. They can be confident because the Bible is entirely truthful, like we just talked about. And because of that, they can pray confidently as they pray Scripture. To pray the Bible is safe and secure and firm ground. See, when I come and I'm reading through the Bible, as I come and I open God's Word where I'm face-to-face -face with Him and I'm asking those questions about what am I learning about who God is? What am I learning about who I am? God, are you, through your Word, are you telling me to do or to be something? I can come there confidently saying, thinking, uh, well, I'm not thinking, did I say the right thing? Am I being wrong? Because I'm praying God's Word. Scripture expresses God's will, His character, His promises. So if you are praying Scripture, then you don't need to worry about being self-deceived or that you're working yourself up for something fleeting, like, I don't know, praying that you'd win the lottery. Because we, we all want to win the lottery, right? 
There's wisdom, though, that, still needed, that is still needed on how to pray the Bible, especially when the Bible is talking about specific people or circumstances. But when you're praying Scripture, you can be sure that what you're praying is in keeping with God's will. That's, you're asking it in Jesus' name. And that's what the church is doing right here. And that breaks them into this next part of this prayer. See, when we read God's word, we should be asking those questions. Are you wondering how to read the Bible? Write these down, okay? Start with the most important question. What does this say about who God is? Then the next question is, what does this say about who I am? Which, may I add, is both humbling and encouraging all at the same time. And then after that, is what do these verses say we should do or be? And when we come to God's word in that way, that guides our prayers like we see right here, and the church understood who God is, so they could pray, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. They understood who they are and who they are and how to pray. So in verse 27, that they they. They pray this because there's people throughout the city who are against the holy servant Jesus, who is sinless, who is perfect, who is the long-awaited Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, the one who would pay the price for our sins. And they need to be reminded of something very important as they face these amazing hardships. As they get to verse 28. Because they pray... Their prayer of praying God's word allows them to say exactly what they say here. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I think that's probably the hardest prayer to pray. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that word whatever means everything. That's what the Greek says. Includes all the evil, rejection, the false accusations, the abuse of justice, the wrongful beatings, the mocking, the crucifixion that both Jews and Gentiles poured out upon Jesus. It means everything. And all of that happens. All of these things that happened were all predestined, meaning that there was a decision made ahead of time. None of what Jesus went through was an act or a mistake or some sort of spontaneous thing. God was always in control. And for whatever the new believers will walk through for, for Jesus' name is also part of that plan. This prayer shows a deep understanding of human responsibility and a deep trust in God's wisdom, in his sovereign direction, in every detail of history. And this would have to be because how could a Savior dying be a good thing? Last I checked, any time a movement, the leader was killed, it usually ended that movement. But when Jesus gets killed, the movement goes like gasoline on a fire. The gospel is summed up in that Christ died for our sins and rose again. Remember what I said about sovereignty, right? Sovereignty is the power and the right to do what is willed. Here, there's purpose behind the act. Jesus just doesn't die. There's a reason behind it. There's a design. 
There's a goal of that will. And that's something called providence. See, God's sovereignty isn't just powerful, but purposeful. And that is what it that is what providence is. God doesn't just have the rights and the power to do all he wills. He has designed and has a goal of that will. There is a purposeful action that is happening. And I love how the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, asks the question, what are the works of providence? And the answer is God's work of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures, creatures, sorry, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. And John Piper wrote a massive, it's like this thick, guys, on providence. It's just called providence. And he's pulling scripture from all over the place. It's a great book. I have it if you want to borrow it. And Providence says, and he says in that book, he says, God upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things. This is the pervasive sovereignty, sovereignty governed by wisdom and holiness, and all to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So the church here in Acts as they prayed, reminded themselves of who God is as he has shown them, shown them in his word, and they pray with confidence. They can trust God because of his wisdom, his power, his justice, his goodness, and his mercy, starting with the cross. Because the Bible is full of telling us the very character of who God is, and now they are reminded of God's divine providence. They don't have the answer to the why, but they can trust And I don't know the why either, and neither did they. They could have said, God, I'm doing all that you're calling me to do. Why is this so uncomfortable? But they reminded themselves of something. God is good. In the midst of suffering, they kept their eyes on the author and the finisher of their faith. I know God has a purpose. If God isn't providential, then who do I beat the chest of when things are feeling uncomfortable? Or when things get hard? So it's in the midst of tears because of this. What we see here, that we can say God is good. And the response to that is, God is good. And that's what the Christians are doing. They're trusting God as they enter into this time of extreme persecution that will eventually scatter their family and their friends. They're trusting God and praying. They don't know the answers, but they know who God is, so they trust. If God wasn't providential, they wouldn't be able to say to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, Jesus dying on the cross was a plan. Jesus died for our sins, not as an act of man, but God's providence and his sovereign plan of salvation. The long-awaited promised Messiah, born of the Virgin Mary, grew up to die on a Roman cross for our sins because we committed treason against the holy God. And even though we are the ones deserving of death, Jesus Christ takes on that punishment for his people so that those who believe that Jesus' death is sufficient will have life and will be saved. And he didn't stay dead. He rose again. 
showing God's giant stamp of approval that his payment was sufficient for our sins. Paying the price for a hopeless people. So the people prayed, reminding each other of who God is, that God is sovereign and that he's providential. He's connecting it to the gospel, that God has a design and a purpose behind everything as they sought to rest in who God is. This enables them to rest in God during these hard times. But it doesn't leave them there. It doesn't create them, it doesn't allow them to continue to be some comfortable person sitting on their lazy boy. They rested in who God is to continue to go with boldness. As we see in verses 29 to 31, resting in who God is for boldness. See, what is the response to the opposition? Do they run? Do they hide? Do they recant? Do they compromise? None of those things. They rest in who God is for boldness. So in verse 29, it says, So they cry, see these threats, God, and he does, because God is providential, which means he's, he just doesn't know, but he's in the midst of these threats and has a purpose and a design and a goal that is rooted in who God is, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. But more than that, there's a mission to bring the message of Jesus to the ends of the world. And these hard times will be the catalyst to do this. Remember the promise in the Great Commission, and you will bring my message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I sometimes I wonder if the great persecution didn't happen in these next few steps, do you think the Christians might have just got a little comfortable hanging out in Jerusalem? Probably would have just kind of, you know, that's where my favorite restaurant is. Why would I want to move? Right? This is where my parents are. I don't want to move. But I think God used those circumstances. I know God used those circumstances to accomplish the mission. Even in the midst of these threats, give us boldness to speak your word with boldness, as they say. Do you see the determination there? They pray for boldness to witness showing a determination to directly disobey the command of the Sanhedrin. Now, I, want, I need to be clear here, okay? The boldness that is being prayed for is to have boldness in the proclamation of the gospel, not to be a jerk, okay? We sometimes choose to die on a whole lot of hills. I'm the guiltiest of them, my wife regularly tells me. It's the gospel that they're asking to have boldness to speak. They're willing to give of everything else, all their comfort, all their preferences, all their music styles, whatever the thing that you are thinking about, for the sake of the gospel. Because the gospel means everything. Because Christ died for our sins and rose again. Without Jesus working, we're all damned to hell. So they pray for boldness. And when you are afraid or ask or, or are scared about talking with someone about the gospel, who gives that boldness? It's God who gives it. And from what I can see throughout God's word and throughout church history, he just doesn't give it as a little snippet, as a little taste, but generously. 
And if we pray like this, I pray that we would pray like this. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I want us to see something important through, though, that when they prayed this, they weren't believing that God was unable to protect them because they did quote Psalm 2. They were claiming the truth that God is sovereign over kings and lords. Those people oppose God in vain, not because he is just stronger, which he is, but because he orchestrates the plans of evil people to conform to his will. The believers can be bold because they know that the effects of evil won't last, and those who oppose the gospel are no threat to a God who's already won and who is in control. You see the implications of us for today? How often do you open the news? I opened the news this morning. I, was, I closed it. I was like, oh, this is the same thing as always. Why, God, Lord Jesus, come quickly? He is coming. But more than that, in the present, in the now, I know that there's a reason, and I don't know why, but I know I can trust. So let me tell you how often we can cry out to God and wondered why evil happens. Why do people plot? Why, why do people gossip or, or who are malicious? Or, or why do they seek to harm your church? Why, why are they against me? Whatever it may be, Lord, why? And right here, I need to be reminded that I need to trust and why I can. As we see in verse 30, the believers didn't hesitate to pray that God would work more miracles as they continued to proclaim the gospel. This wasn't about a deficit in their faith, but praying for evidence of their strong belief that God would do great things among them to authenticate the gospel they are preaching. And may we continue to see you at work as they pray to Jesus, that you would continue to work through your name as we see people come to know you as Lord and Savior, as we see people healed from their brokenness, and not just temporal, but the eternal, because the eternal is, quite honestly, more important. We can heal people physically all day long, but they can still be going to the same place. Let people leave this place saying, great is the Lord. Again, all of this comes through one name, and one name alone is Jesus Christ. And God does see, he does know. And the point of the prayer, God is providentially working through the circumstances to mature the Christian to be more like Christ and to also have his word continue to increase. I like Psalm 2. Specifically, I like Psalms of laments because they help me personally know how to cry out to God. But I also like Psalms like Psalm 42. I say to, my, say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, you, do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And we could end it right here and be like, okay, we're good, right? No, because my eyes need to go back up. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, the people, they acknowledge who God is. And in that, they acknowledge that he is sovereign over all things, that there is a purpose behind what is happening. God, there's this that is happening, so will you do something? 
but in the midst of doing something, give me the boldness to continue on. These Christians knew that God maneuvers the plots of people to accomplish his redemptive purposes. So what does this mean for them? How does that change how they prayed and how they acted? What does this mean for us? It means that we can be bold and trust God, just like Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Which means for those who are in Christ, we know the one who defeated death. So why should we be worried about who decides matters of life and death on this planet? Because they're not a true threat. There is power in prayer. Circumstances bring us to our knees. But this isn't, the most, this isn't a powerless position. I think sometimes we kept the prayer like it's the last, our last straw. I do this all the time. Try and fix something on your own, and then maybe you do prayer as an afterthought. Right? You're giggling, because I know it's, everyone knows it's true. But prayer is the most powerful position to be. That should be the first thing we do. It's like, uh, we, had, we once had a cat. Biggest mistake. <laughs> and we bought the cat for a specific reason. Specific reason. That was to kill some mice in our house. This is a long, long time ago. We don't live in this house anymore, so don't worry. And I remember watching the cat found a mouse and just played with it. Like, why are you playing with it? You're there to do a job. Do the job. Kill the mouse. This is when all the animal rights people come. It's an animal, so I don't know. Um, I think that's how we treat prayer. We kind of play with all of our life circumstances. We try to figure it out our own. And we don't do the most powerful thing possible. Get on our knees. And if you can't get on your knees, get into a chair. I have a pastor friend who kneels to preach every time. He's a lot older than I am. And I think, is he going to get up? And I'm like, if I did that, I might not get up. But let's prayer be the most powerful thing we do. Let us be a people of prayer, resting in the character of God so that we can trust more in his divine providence and go out in boldness with the mission we have been commanded to be on, knowing that our captain is already victorious. So Peter and John, the so what? Peter and John were arrested by Jewish leaders for preaching Jesus to the people. That's what they were arrested for. And that's what they're praying about. They were on mission of Jesus to bring the message about Jesus. And after Peter and John were released and went to their friends, they told them the threats. The believers responded with one voice to do what? To pray. And they acknowledged God's sovereignty as creator and his prediction of Jesus' crucifixion. As they pray, they so point pointedly combine human responsibility and God's sovereignty, and they point out that Jesus' death was the work of Herod and Pontus and the Gentiles and the Jews participating, but that's not where it ends. That's not where the prayer ends. They point to God's sovereignty, more specifically his divine providence. These evil men did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God worked through evil human beings without being guilty of evil himself. 
The people mentioned did sin, but their actions fulfilled God's plan with no credit to them. It is mysterious how God's sovereign control and human freedom fit together. I'm not going to try and explain it, but I know God's word says it, so we're going to believe that. But they pray that God would grant them even more boldness to witness. There will come a time, you and I in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, will have to make a very similar decision. Will I continue to preach the gospel and proclaim that Jesus Christ died for my sins? Or am I going to compromise in some way? And I understand that there's wisdom in every situation. And we need to pray for that. And we know that James 1.5, God promises that he would give wisdom generously to those who ask. But there will be a time when that will happen. I remember one pastor saying that the, pa- the role of a pastor is to prepare the church for persecution. It's coming, folks. Let us be a people of prayer in that. We can be scared and we can rant and make Facebook posts and whatever else and Twitter trolling and TikTok posts. But let us be a people of prayer. And may God grant us the wisdom to continue to be a witness. There will come that time. How is it possible to be bold? We rest in the providence of God as we pray for boldness to, to continue to be repentant Christ learners who tell others about the message of Jesus Christ. Look to the example we see here in Acts. The response of the apostles to the persecution is prayer, not for relief or deliverance, from that, but for boldness and power to continue to proclaim the word of God. Let us pray this way. We live in a world that's on the edge of war, economic instability, combustible partisan division, faith deconstruction, gender confusing, confusion, and if you've been alive for any length of time, I'm sure you're dizzy about technology. I am. But it's now more than ever that we need boldness because we, the church, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ along with other gospel-preaching churches. And we get to bring the message about Jesus to a world that is broken, that is feeling all of that. We have a hope that gives peace in all circumstances. I think much of our attitudes about situations would be very different too if we also ran to God's word and see how he has shown himself and reminded him of that, and we worship the God that we see in, the word of, uh, in his word as Lord and sovereign creator of all, that we preach to ourselves how God has, has shown himself to us, trusting that we can trust in him, and then acting in on that. So how did they get boldness? How do we get boldness? How can we have boldness? Let's be in God's word and pray it out. We rest in the providence of God as we pray for boldness to continue to be repented Christ learners who tell others about the message of Jesus. To grow in boldness is actually to rest more. To rest in God's sovereignty and his providence. To rest in his character. That we may grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen, as 2 Peter 3.18 says. So when things get hard, when we're wondering about what's going on, which is 
every day. I was talking to people in the prayer time, and they were wondering what happened to the college football. I don't know. Let us trust in God's divine providence in hard situations. Let's pray big prayers of boldness. Let's be a people that stand for what the word of God says and be a people of the word. Let us be a people that know that God is sovereign and providential and creator of all. Let us pray that we can grow in trusting God, that he is good as we move forward in faithfulness, being bold with the message of Jesus. And let's do that today. Like the early church, let us respond with all the uncertainty of our lives with prayer. Not for relief or deliverance from the hardships, but for boldness and power to continue to proclaim the word even in the midst of what seems to be impossible because we have an eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Growing in our understanding that God's sovereignty is governed by wisdom and holiness and all to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Let us pray to be bold. Let us be bold for the right things. Let us stand strong knowing who God is. Let's pray.